0: You're listening to the No Name Photo Show. It's not spouse approved. It may or may not be safe for work. We'll see. And now, here's your host, Brian Matias and me, Sharky James. So, Brian, here we are. Episode 34.
1: We have quattro-trision toppled our episode output, Sharky. You're 100% positive of that. I am. Um, Well, I'm as positive as the person. So, So, I don't remember how long ago it was, but someone messaged me the entire list of tuples i think i think i said this is god i don't know how many months ago but someone's just like hey here you go because i only had it i think the wiki for tuples went to like 30 so we would have been you know up creek by now and so he sent me through 99 i think or 100 let me see i have it through 100 which should i spoil what 100 is no you should not okay it, I it's won't.
0: a good thing this is everybody's favorite segment i no it's, <laughs> no it's not so why don't we get to what's on today's show brian
1: sure So, Sharky, we are uh, in the middle of May. You know, uh, April showers bring May flowers, and it also is uh, the start of wedding season for, you know, the couples who are getting married and photographers and florists and event planners and whatnot. Uh, This is becoming their busy season. So here's the thing. Both of the stories that we've got today, Sharky, technically are wedding-themed, but the the underlying kind of common denominator between both of them, wedding is just the story that this was written about you can apply the themes here to just about any type of photography. But I, I did think it was kind of serendipitous that both of them are wedding related. So the first one, Sharky, total, total clickbait title uh, coming from DIY Photography. I, I saw this title and initially I just, again, I'm like, I don't even want to click on this. But the title is called Wedding Photography is Dead by Shelly Mantavani And here's the thing. As I I read more of it, I really got into it. And by the end, I was like, yeah, this is a great article. And it's too bad that it was tainted with this stupid clickbait title. Second one is a video. So the video is picked up by uh, slrlounge.com. And there's this photographer who another clickbait. that's not really clickbait, but it's why I hate the twenty four seventy millimeter F2.8 for wedding photography. It's a short 60-second video, but uh, we'll talk about that.
0: Sounds good. And since neither of us shoot weddings. Mm-hmm. If those who are thinking, oh, this is going to be like a wedding episode, this is not going to be a wedding episode. No, We don't shoot them. We don't want to shoot them. Nope. Those of you that do, bless you because that takes some patience. That's a lot of hard work right there too.
1: I've shot two weddings, what I would consider you know, air quotes professionally, where I was the lead photographer. It was my own business. I hired a second Shooter and you know all the stuff, and I would I always say that those are two more weddings than I ever should have shot professionally. So for me, it's not my cup of tea, but I have the utmost respect for those who are successful at it.
0: Absolutely. Now
1: let's go ahead with topic number one, Brian. Sure. So as I was saying, this again, the story I found this story at DIYphotography.net. and again, the title is "Wedding Photography Is Dead" by Shelley Montavani. All right. So the premise of the article is this: that basically. Uh, there's kind of this race to the bottom, meaning a photographer, more and more photographers are coming out and they're hanging up their shingles. They want to be pros, but they're charging, you know, she's, I think in the UK, so she's talking in pounds, you know, they're charging 450 pounds a wedding, whereas before it used to be 1,200 pounds or 2,000 pounds. And so because of that, the industry is dead. But the where it turns around is basically at the end, she's talking about, it's not just wedding photography, but if you look at the whole, Industry, and this is not just in the you know within wedding photography or weddings as an event, but all across the board, things are changing. And I, and I hate to use that word so kind of flippantly, but it's true. It's like things are changing, and I, I wouldn't even say so much like changing the way you advertise, like maybe moving to Facebook ads, but like in general, fundamentally, how you look at your business as a photographer needs to change. And if you don't, you die. And so that's kind of the where the wedding photography is dead premise came from. Wait, you actually die? That's how? Yeah.
0: That's what's on the line here?
1: Yeah, I mean, you go into like a cardiac infarction and you just kind of like shut down because you didn't change it. But no, Sharky, you don't die. Come on, man. God,
0: the dad jokes will get better than that. Promise. We'll we'll I see. So. I don't know. You're gonna have to stay tuned just to find out.
1: Just you know, just throw in a Grand Tetons in there just to <laughs> wipe the taste out of my mouth. Yeah, that was that was pretty awful. And again, on behalf of everyone you know i apologize to the audience but so here's the thing sharky well, let me ask you something do you agree with a do you see let's just put wedding photography to the side for now but as a a photographer do you in your in your impression does everyone have to reevaluate the way they do their business is is the entire industry as a whole making a race to the bottom here
0: you should be reevaluating your business all the time
1: good answer good answer
0: okay so without naming names Back when I was a photojournalist back in Arizona, there was this guy, great guy, who had this beautiful standalone building on the main drag there in my main area of operation. How's that for not very specific? And so he had a wedding business, right? Beautiful building. At night when you drove by, you saw these just lit up beautiful portraits, wedding things. So he was advertising 24-7 right there because people are driving by. He eventually had to close his studio because there just wasn't enough business because everybody's shooting weddings. I mean, you're competing with high schoolers and everybody's shooting because they got a new camera and it's like, hey, I hear weddings pay better than, you know, senior photos. So let's do that. So there is a race to the bottom. It's just photography has been commoditized. You know, it's like with Pepsi, you go anywhere and uh, you're going to get the same product, basically, you know, just about everywhere for about the same price. It just comes down to like, is it on sale at that point? I'm not saying all photographers are the same quality because they're not, but that's how people have started viewing photographers because there's just so many and they see such horrible photography out there just in their feeds, you know, in in, uh, like say Facebook and such. And it's just, they're used to seeing so much photography and so much bad photography that it's not special anymore. So there's an opportunity where if you're really, really good, raise your prices, you know? If you're gonna go for the middle, you're just not gonna have it. So you're either gonna be at the bottom and do it on volume, or you're gonna raise your prices and actually be able to charge that because you're really good at what you do and get that. And do fewer weddings too. Would you rather do 10 weddings a year at five thousand a piece, or would you rather do twenty weddings a year at twenty five hundred?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I totally get that. And pricing is definitely one of the, I guess, ways that you can reevaluate your business for me. So specifically about this article, while I did enjoy it, I, I kinda would wish let me read the last paragraph. So I'm quoting from this article, quote, it's time to change, time to change how you look at your business, time to introduce a new way of doing things because the old way isn't working. It's time to strip back to basics, take stock and figure out what the future holds. It's time to embrace new tech, new ways to get your work out, new ways to appeal to the clients you want, end quote.
0: New ways to lose weight and, and get more fit. You said more ways to get your work out. Oh, God, Sharky. Hey, somebody in the audience caught that and were like, I hope he makes a fitness joke, and there it is.
1: So back to the point. What I would have loved to have seen Sharky is it's easy to just kind of throw these platitudes out there, like, oh, you know, you got new new eyes, you know, just wipe away the crud and see with clear eyes. But
0: wait, a platitude isn't that one of those animals with those like flat kind of like beak kind of things, or no? Oh, Sharky. It's not or is that a platypus with an attitude? Yeah, that's
1: that's platitude. That, that's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. All right, go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. So I would have liked to have seen some actual examples. You know, it's it's easy to just say, you know, these kind of armchair therapists, uh, photo business therapists who are telling you what to do. She did link, apparently she offers uh, mentoring. So that's great. And that, you know, her link is in there, which is great. But it would, for me, an article like this, first you start off with clickbait, but then you redeem yourself, but then you don't really go into any details of what that could look like. So as in leading by example, I know I agree. And I agree with you, Sharky, 100%, meaning you should always be looking at your business if you are, because I mean, I don't know how many of our listeners actually want to make money or run a business with photography, but you should always be evaluating it. So in the interest of, of not being a hypocrite, I'll give an example of, this was not something I did, but I will never forget it. This was a buddy of mine way back years ago when I lived in New England. I had a buddy, his name is Doug Levy he's a great wedding photographer, has been a wedding photographer for years. I don't know if he's still doing it. We kind of fell out of touch. However, I remember him telling me this one idea that he wanted to do, and it was kind of off the wall, but it was one of those things where it just was a new way to market himself. But in essence, there was this one tier for his wedding photography that he offered to new clients, and it was at a discounted rate. But effectively, they would give him the permission to photograph it using any sort of experimental photography equipment. So whether it, maybe it would have been uh, disposable cameras or using only a soft focus filter, I don't remember the examples he gave me, but he had all of these different examples of he would approach it with the same professionalism, the same everything. And he would, you know, it would be it would be on his terms to, to create something that the clients would be happy with. I mean, he wouldn't want to do that and deliver some junk. So obviously it would be stuff that he was comfortable in, but it would be very different. And I, I love that. I thought that was like, wow, that's thinking outside of the box. And I I do kind of wish I could remember more specifics because he had some really kind of off the wall ideas
0: and it killed his business. No, I don't think so. That eight millimeter funk buster was a bad idea for a wedding. (laughs) He was right up in there.
1: Every photo would be taken with a fish eye lens, three inches from the bride's face, like, and and that's that's a whole that's a whole kit and caboodle. But no, I mean, I think it's important. I agree with the, what this author Shelley is saying in terms of like, as a photographer, and it, you can even approach it from. It's interesting. It's it's actually interesting. The more I think about it, because forget about the business side of photography. Let's just say you're interested in growing your social media. Well, there's this. There's almost if you think about the words of wisdom that you know, the tips that people share about how to grow your followers on Instagram, one of the things they always tell you is to find a consistency, meaning a consistent genre, a consistent, like, look, you know, post-processing, where if someone goes to your wall to see the grid of your photos, that there's a consistency there. And that, in a way, almost goes against the grain here. Like, what do, do you want to get pigeonholed as a, like, for instance, as a landscape photographer? What if you're interested in doing, like me, Urbics, like, you know, abandoned photography. Like, is that something that, you know, if I'm trying to reevaluate or rethink the way that I do photography, is that me hurting myself by sharing this different type of stuff? So, you know, that's something I think that's worth thinking about.
0: Well, it's like the the age old question now, do I put everything that I do on my website or do I break it out? Because if you go to someone's website and you see sports and you see wedding stuff and you see landscapes, you're like, all right, well, I want a wedding photographer. I don't want this guy or gal that can do just about everything. So it's, I don't know. Who knows these days? I think you need to be prepared to do everything, but you need to market your stuff separately. Because, like you said, if you go to someone's account and it's a hodgepodge like mine is, you're going to be like, all right, I better like hodgepodges. Otherwise, I'm not going to follow this guy. If you follow, let's say, Chris Burkhardt's photos somewhere, you know, someone features him and it's a beautiful vista. And then you go to his Instagram account and it's a bunch of cats and dogs and stuff. You're not going to follow. You want to see more of that. So I think you do have to niche down, but make that stuff separate and promote it separately and just, you know, make it known that you can do just about everything. But you need to present like more of what people want to see if that's the work you want to get. Otherwise, you're just going to look like everybody else and you want to look like you can master it all, too.
1: You know, it's it, I agree with everything you say. It's totally true because. I I think I brought this up on a previous episode at one point. But we maybe we were talking about business cards or something and I remember like on one of my very first business cards back when I was had the intent of doing weddings and everything. It it, it had like, you know, it's a Brian Matias photography and it had architecture, commercial, wedding, portrait, everything under the sun and it just the more I think about it, sure. And this also kind of goes back to what we were talking about in our last episode 33, that open letter by uh, Jason Group where how much of it do you have to kind of like, if, if you put your shingle out and you say you are a wedding photographer, what if in actuality you, you enjoy and you're actually good at other types of photography? Like again, architecture, for example, there is this interesting balance. And, and I do see people who have multiple accounts. They manage multiple Instagram accounts, but they also have multiple websites. To your point, Sharky, because I do think it's important to delineate or help at least potential clients be able to delineate or differentiate who you are as a photographer. If I'm looking, you're 100% right, man. Let's say, let's use Chris Burkhardt, for example. You see a beautiful coastal surfing shot. Odds are, you know, or let's let's just say Chris Burkhardt was a, a wedding photographer and you see a beautiful, one of his wedding photos in a magazine. And then you go to his website, he's got surfing photos. It's like that there's a disconnect there and that could be damaging for a potential business. So I don't know, man. I, I think that if we're going to, you know, put this story down, I would say the best thing you can do is... Constantly keep practicing uh, your photography and marketing yourself, but also thinking, think about different ways that you can be that visual storyteller. You know, different ways to tell your story, different ways to tell your story through business as well. Because just boosting your posts and making Facebook ads, that's that's a tired, tired strategy. I wouldn't even call it a strategy anymore. It's just at that point, you're just throwing money um, at the beast. But thinking outside of the box again, like my buddy Doug. You know, that was an outside of the box thing. I don't know if he had any takers, but at the very least, there was something interesting there and call it 10, 12 years later. I still remember that. So,
0: you know, we've talked about this before, but when I created the petapixel photography podcast, I could have done a show like all the other guys out there. And I say guys, cause I don't think there was any female photographers that were doing shows come to think of it. I don't think they still do. There's, there's hardly any, there should be more. I decided to do a show that I wanted to listen to and it was something different and it was wacky. I mean, if you listen to the show, it's wacky, but that's why it's one of the most listened to photography podcasts out there because it is different. You have to like put yourself out there. You have to do it well, but you have to do something different. Otherwise, you are a commodity. You're just like everyone else. You're interchangeable. You don't want to be seen as being interchangeable. And then also, it, whether you're in business or not, you know, if your goal is to do really great photography, do really great photography, practice at it, rise above, do something different, attack it from a different angle and you will grow. That's how you grow. So I don't know. We beat this dead.
1: Yeah. And, and I th- I hope people enjoyed it because I think it's important. It's, it's so easy to get just, stuck in the quicksand i've definitely been there but yeah we've we've done this one sharky it's good let's move on to story number two shall we i say let's do it brian let's all right so this is again a story this is more gear related so hopefully you know if anyone kind of snoozed off they're they working up. like Ge- what Ge- gear gear what so the title is and this is uh, paraphrasing the video title but it's from slrlounge.com and again should have mentioned this before show notes all of the links that we're referencing here will be at no name You can get access to all those show notes. But uh, the title is uh, a rant on why one photographer hates the twenty four seventy for wedding photography. Do you? All right. So the video that uh, the article is referencing is by a photographer or YouTuber named Taylor Jackson, and it's a short video. And he basically talks about why he hates the twenty four seventy millimeter lens. Which I would say is possibly the most popular zoom lens out there of the the Trinity, you know, sixteen thirty-five, twenty-four seventy, seventy, two hundred. I would say the twenty-four seventy is probably the one that most people own. And there's good reason for that because I would say twenty-four millimeters at the wide end is pretty wide. 70 millimeters is pretty long. And you know the ones that come at f two point eight gives you a really nice shallow depth of field. So he's this guy is coming at it again at, from a wedding perspective, but I still think that this is applicable to just about any genre, Sharky. He's saying that well, the twenty four seventy or rather primes, his argument is that with the primes that he uses, he is able to get a distinct look, whether it's the compression that he gets or the shallow depth of field, and also he he argues that because you're at a fixed focal length with prime. Uh, You have to be more creative because you have to kind of think and zoom with your feet. Now, I don't know, Sharky, let me, before I go into my thing, what do you think about this? Uh, Are you kind of, do you you have any thoughts on the prime versus zoom saga debate or, and what do you think of the 2470 specifically?
0: So I come from photojournalism. So zooms are where it's at because things are going on, right? It's chaos. Sometimes you need to be ready. So I've never been a prime kind of guy. Unless it's ribs, and then it's you know prime ribs for days, right? But hey, don't (laughs) encourage me with laughter. You should only shame me. Come
1: on, uh, but that was actually kind of funny. I enjoyed that. So
0: well, it's only because you're hungry, but otherwise lame joke. But zooms are where it's at. You're so limited with primes, but you do get they they tend to be sharper. I think that's changing over time. You know, with modern manufacturing and. I mean, look at Tamron's lenses and Sigmas, you know, their zooms are just top notch. I mean, our friend Mark Morris from Tamron was here at Idaho. Camera was about a month, month and a half or so ago. Now I tried again, the 70 to 200, that 100 to 400, I think it was. I was prepared to hate that darn thing because it's a 100 to 400 and I love it. It's that thing was sharp. And it was just, even though the apertures, you know, wasn't a constant 2.8 like my Sigma 120 to 300, that was a darn good lens. So these modern lenses are pretty darn amazing. But it would be nice to know what the numbers are. I think most people probably get the 70 to 200 before they get the 24 to 70. I think they go ultra wide zoom. They do like a 16 to 35, or on Nikon, it'd be like a a 14 to 24. That's part of the Trinity. And then they get a 70 to 200. And that middle lens, that 24 to 70, I think, just in my experience, gets left out. I think most people go for the either end first and think it's, you know, and figure it's covered. The 24 to 70 is kind of limiting. I, instead of getting the 24 to 70, I could have bought it. I had the money to do it. I went with the Sigma 24 to 105 F4. So it's not a 2.8 you know, you lose a stop right there, but I wanted a little more reach. The 24 to 70 FL felt was a little too constricting for me. So I just, you know, as more of like a walk around kind of lens. And I just wanted, just wanted a little bit more and it's a great lens. Well, I shouldn't say great lens. It's a, a very good lens.
1: I know they have their, their art lens, a twenty-four seventy F 28 eight and all the major manufacturers, like said, Canon, Sony, Nikon, Sigma, Tamron have a 24 to 70 millimeter with a fixed f2.8 aperture.
0: And this 24 to 105 f4 from Sigma is an art, by the way. It is. Yeah.
1: Okay. And so I know Sony just recently released a 24-105 f4, and I think Canon's had a image stabilization built in. And I also believe it was L series, but I don't remember. Still, that's interesting that you say that. I clearly think the opposite because if a photographer was to grab one lens for a walk around, one, and assuming they didn't want a prime lens, because that negates the argument, but a zoom lens. I would think it would be a twenty four seventy because because, and there's several reasons. I do think that 24 is wide enough to get you decently wide shots. 70 millimeters is long enough or tight enough to get you those kinds of shots. But the thing that is also really nice about at least the 24-70s that I've used is that it has some really nice, not quite macro, but close enough focus where you can get some really interesting tight shots at 70 millimeters. So, And also at 70 millimeters, you are eliminating a lot of that barrel distortion. So if we're talking, bringing it back to wedding photography, you know, obviously, I'd rather take four steps back and zoom to 70 to get a photo of a bride's face rather than be at 24 and just be like, you know, two steps away from her. Obviously, that's kind of portrait photography 101. With that said, listen, you know, there are arguments to be made about primes. Right now, there are no zoom lenses that can kind of come close to the maximum aperture of primes. Like- you know, 1.4 or 1.8. And the thing that I question is at what point do you get that point of diminishing returns? Because if I'm shooting at, let's say I was shooting back in the day with the 50 Canon 50 1.2 or the 85 1.2, which are both you know, big, chunky lens. Also, the 85 1.2 was mother slow uh, focus lens. I mean, it was just insanely slow to focus. I never shot at 1.2 or even 1.4 when I'm shooting portraits and stuff because you're operating this razor-thin margin. You know, (laughs) like you're-
0: If if you're on full frame and you're shooting at 1.2, you better be not very shaky, you know, move like sway uh, in and out, probably want to be locked down on a tripod and you better be prepared for like an inch of focus. It's just, no no one does it. They say, oh, everyone's like, I got to get that 51.2. It's really expensive. It's a great lens. Other photographers will be like, oh my God, you got the 51.2. No, don't do it. You're not going to be shooting it at one two. You're going to be like at two, eight or four.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Like I would, if I would love to see a 1.2 on a, on a 12 millimeter lens, you know, for like astral photography. But if I'm shooting event photography, like you said, it's not, not even the breathing, like, you know, of your camera moving in and out. But if the person or people that you're, you're photographing are moving at all, your plane of focus is constantly shifting. And so to me, the 2470. so you're, you know, the argument, I think we're, we're, I think, Sharky, you know, you could disagree with me, but I think we're saying that the maximum aperture argument is kind of being pushed off to the side because regardless, you're going to probably, if you can shoot at 1.2, you're still probably going to drop down to 2.0 or 2.8.
0: Well, and it's, and your lens is going to be sharper about about two stops down anyhow.
1: Exactly. And that is something that, you know, you can take it to the MTF charts and analyze that, of course. But I, I do think it is generally agreed upon that you usually stop down one stop, one and a half to two stops to get that really nice, sweet, sharp, sh- still shallow depth of field, but sharp plane of focus. So again, now we're talking, if we're don't, if we gonna say that aperture is not a factor, the only thing, you, well, not really the only thing, but you're left with the ability to zoom versus not zoom. And one of the arguments that this guy made in his video is that he says that the 2470s are much larger and heavier than prime's. It depends because if we're talking about the eighty five one two, or we're talking about some of like for instance Zeiss's Zeiss has their Millivis lenses, their prime lenses, those are heavy tanks. I mean, those are you can they double as like weapons. They are heavy, they're dense, they're built like tanks. And I think you're starting to kind of lose that argument in terms of size and weight there. So Ultimately, I think it boils down to, I don't know if convenience or safety is the right word, but I think you're spot on, man, by bringing on photojournalism, because I would say photojournalism and, in a way, wedding photography are very similar. And if, uh, without speaking for you, Sharky, but I would say, like, you're saying zooms are super important because, listen, you need to get that shot. And sometimes you just can't get to where you need to be. You need to be able to zoom in. So what do you think?
0: With the asterisk that today, like, look at my, I love my Nikon D850. I mean, 45 point whatever megapixels, which is ridiculous. I mean, if you think Lightroom is slow with 24 megapixels. Oh, oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, you've got resolution. So if you can't get close enough with your lenses, if you have a full frame sensor with a lot of megapixels, you can crop in, but that is not good photography strategy right there. (laughs) That's like, that's a fallback. That is a complete fallback. When I was a photojournalist, I was shooting with my beloved D700, which Levi Sims still has right now. He's taking it like around the United States, shooting stuff of it for a a different product thing he's doing. But the D700 was only 12.1 megapixels. So you had to physically get close. I can't count how many times I see people who they're shooting with a not ideal camera and they've got a zoom lens and they're at, you know, they've got like, let's say a 70 to 300. So not a great you know, lens. But the, on the Nikon side, that 7300 is not that bad. They would be at like 70 when they really should have been at like 200 or so. They they could have zoomed is what I'm saying, but they didn't. You want to do as much optically as you can because you don't want to zoom in later and then you don't want to stretch those pixels. So you want to put as much of that on your sensor as possible. I, you know, I encourage people these days to get Zooms because they are so much better than they used to be. If you think you have to get a prime just to be a photographer, you are mistaken. Yeah. I'd say get primes when you know what you're doing. Go into Lightroom and it'll show you what focal lengths you mostly shoot at and just see, you know, as long as you're doing a a decent range of. Okay. So let's say you are fairly new and you've got the 18 to 55 kit lens and you've got a 55 to two something, 300, whatever. See what focal lengths you're shooting at. And if you're mostly shooting at like 24, then go get a 24 prime. You know, if you're doing a lot of architecture and stuff, well, then you're going to want a tilt shift lens. So you're going to want to sell your firstborn because those are expensive. See what you need. It's going to, you know, that's going to inform your decision right there. But I don't know. Did we beat this
1: dead? I I mean, I think I agree with what you said. I think totally makes sense. And I do kind of wish when you say Lightroom, unfortunately, you have to clarify these days, Lightroom Classic, because I'm still using Lightroom CC. And I, I will tell you that their filter system is woefully underutilized compared to what you can do in Lightroom Classic. So, But but uh, here's the thing also, if we are talking about equivalents, like let's say typically you're shooting with two camera bodies, you're a wedding photographer, you're shooting with two camera bodies. For me, imagine if on one camera I had A 2470, and on the other, I had a 70 to 200. Imagine there, I've got 24 to 200 effectively, you know, between the two cameras. Whereas if I was just shooting with two primes, I'd have, let's say, maybe a 24 or a 35 and maybe an 85, and that's it. So I would approach the wedding photography the same way I approach how I shoot landscapes, meaning when I'm in Portland and I've got the gorge and I've shot the gorge a thousand and one times, I almost always now just go with some primes and I'll change it up i'll do because i have some i have primes i have lens baby lenses and i have my my sony a7
0: well and you know what focal lengths that you're gonna need because you've shot that stuff before you're like okay i need a 24 i don't need a 24 to 70 zoom with me right i'm not gonna be at 70 so i'll bring the 24
1: but but here's my point though is if it's something that i'm just you know and it's kind of Goes to your point in terms of like if you can really tell yourself like listen I've shot the gorge so many times I'm gonna go with just something off the wall to challenge myself or if I do know that yeah I'm mostly shooting at ultra wide angle focal lengths I might just bring a uh, one of the the Loxi lenses because they are so much smaller and lighter or I will bring something completely different just to challenge myself. However, when I go to somewhere new. When I'm traveling somewhere new, like when I went to Abraham Lake earlier this year, never been there, I would rather be safe than sorry. And like you said, zoom lenses have come such a long way. When I went to there, I I, I brought a 1635, a 2470, and 100 to 400, no primes, because I did not know what I needed. Also, I didn't want to be caught, like, you know, if I needed to get longer and I only had primes, but I couldn't. So anyway, you're right. We beat this to death, Sharky. I just think that right now, if it was years ago, primes, I think, had the advantage. And I still think, like, I'm a Zeiss lens ambassador. I love my Zeiss primes. Uh, I use them all the time. However, I wouldn't, I would just be disingenuous if I said that the zooms have not, I mean, they've closed a gap.
0: It's because of modern manufacturing techniques, modern materials, computer aided design, et cetera. They've got this stuff so figured out. Look at Tamron, all these Tamron OEMs for a lot of companies. A lot of people don't know that they do amazing work. They hold more patents than most companies do for lenses, you know, and they've got this stuff figured out and they've got it really dialed in and it's only going to get better. But it's so good right now. The zooms are just, I mean, some of these modern zooms are tack sharp throughout the whole range. You don't have to and you don't get the vignetting like you used to. They're pretty darn amazing. You really can't complain as a photographer, but it's we, we live in great times. You could get away with Zooms these days. You don't need primes anymore. Done. Done. All right, Sharky. What, Brian? What's on your gear shelf? I tell you, to an episode. We're going to run out. Pretty soon it's going to be like, what's on my bookshelf? Sure. All right, so asterisk, one of my sponsors over at the Padapixel Photography Podcast is Tether Tools. Tether, great guys, great company. By saying guys, I mean guys and girls, of course.
1: My uh, my buddy, actually, who long, who's Wes Maggio, who was at Wacom for God knows how many years, just recently moved over to Tether Tools. He's there now as well.
0: So... Tether Tools. If you're going to obviously tether your computer to your camera, you want to have good stuff, right? So we'll over time... I've got a bunch of Tether Tools stuff. Over time, we'll go through... Probably every single darn cable and such I have. But the classic, when you think of tether tools, I think most people, probably the first thing that comes to their mind is the jerk stopper. The jerk stopper doesn't just stop jerky photographers, it uh, which it does really effectively, I might say. It keeps your cable from yanking out of your camera. Just think about that. Do you want anything yanking out of your camera? No, you do not. That's very bad. Just like look at with Apple for instance how they have the MagSafe connector and everything. So if someone were to trip over your power cable, it's not going to bring your your uh, laptop with it. The jerk stopper attaches to the little little grommet thing or whatever it is that you you know attach your camera strap to that no one uses anymore. It attaches to that and it attaches to the cable, you know, like a few inches down or so. And so that is going to keep your camera and your cable from doing really bad stuff. It's not going to yank out of your camera. You don't want to do that. So you want to get a jerk stopper. They're like, it's like 21 bucks. And if you're tethering, you have to get it. $21 to save your camera. And also, you know, a fairly expensive lens. Well, yeah, a fairly expensive lens attached to it. whatever else you have attached to your camera, including the cable. You need to get a jerk stopper. 21 bucks. Very nice. If I may, if you want to save 10% off tethertools.com and use the offer code petapixel. 10 P E T A P I X E L 10. So there you go. It saves you like a couple bucks off that. Now, what's on your gear shelf, Brian?
1: Very nice, Sharky. Well, so what's on my gear shelf is not actually on my shelf. It's on Nicole's shelf, but it's really cool. And I hope that by including it, she'll let me use it one day because I really want to use it. So the reason why this came to be in our house and specifically on her gear shelf is. I guess Fujifilm just recently announced and released a major firmware update to their camera lines, which to me is is just phenomenal. Essentially, the firmware that they updated almost killed the need for people to buy their newest camera body, the X-H1, I think, which is... Go ahead, Sharky.
0: I'm going to tell you why it's not, though. Okay. Tell what... You're going to talk about the X-T2 probably yes. firmware update. I talked about that in my show. Go ahead and talk about that. And then I'll tell you why you should get the X-H1.
1: Well, I'm not going to get any because I still like my Sony gear, but she was really happy. So Nicole has been doing a lot more video for her stock portfolio on Stocksy, and she became disenchanted with using her DJI Osmo Mobile, which has been a previous gear pick of ours. So she wanted to use a gimbal. So the problem was that with the X-T2, there were some things that for video, it was lacking, like you couldn't record log in camera. Log is, some people refer to it as raw for video, but it's really just kind of a desaturated lower contrast video with all the information there so that when it's time to color correct and uh, exposure adjust and, and grade, you have a lot more kind of wiggle room. So they brought that to the firmware for the XC 2 in camera log, but they also brought 120 frames per second recording at HD, which is 1080p resolution, which is really nice. And among uh, a few other things, uh, like I think focus bracketing as well, the gear Pick. I'll just get to that and then uh, Sharky, you can have your say. Is uh, so she ordered the DJI Ronin M gimbal. So it's this gimbal. It's really sweet. I mean, it comes with a stand and, you know, it does all sorts of calibrations and balancing. But once it's done, once it's calibrated for the camera and balanced, Nicole took some of our dogs in the yard. And I have to say, I mean, it's just cinematic, it's smooth. Uh, and you can really see the difference now. I know that gimbals that that whole market has exploded in recent years. Between you know the the boom of YouTubers and even with phones, but also with cameras that now are you know pulling double duty as as video cameras. This industry has exploded. I know there's no shortage of options, but I think with DJI, they've just had they have a very reputable name in the the UAV drone market. So and I know that a lot of people have used it. So that's the pick. It's not unlike yours, which is very, very you know, priced inexpensively. This is very expensive. It's just under $1,000, if I remember correctly. But just from what I've seen from Nicole, if that's something you're interested in, you don't want to just use your phone for doing this kind of high-quality video. You want to use your camera. Let's say it's capable of recording at 4K or at 120 frames per second. You want a gimbal, and this one just looks legit. So
0: Everybody who uses it loves it because DJI has the gimbal stuff down. I mean, come on. Yeah. You you really can't go wrong. It's going to be a lot of money, but, I was going to say the reason to get the XH1 is you have in-body image stabilization, right? You've got uh, a higher data rate of recording. The $500 difference I think is worth it because you can also shoot Eterna film simulation mode which is, you know, neither here nor there. And you got touchscreen autofocus. So if you need those things, get the XH1. Otherwise, the XT2, which is getting a little long in the tooth, but it will always be a classic camera is a great buy. But your pick is a 1000-ish dollar yeah thing for people who can't shoot steady perfectly i'll tell you something no one can listen
1: you you kind of just to touch on something you said with the the xc2 getting long in a tooth you have to applaud Fujifilm. i mean seriously you know like the the fact that they put out such a usually when firmware updates come out they're like to address some sort of a bug or a a focusing issue color reproduction issue but to introduce such meaningful features to, to essentially that breathes new life into your the camera like you said one that is somewhat long in the tooth to me that's that's just fantastic you know uh, the only time i remember sony doing something like that was several years ago when they released a firmware update that retroactively added uncompressed raw to like the a7 mark ii and the r2 and the s2 that was not previously there you could argue that that should have been there in the first place but to add with fujifilm such you know i mean Focus bracketing. I would love that for if you want to do focus stacking, like that's something I would love to have.
0: Like if you if you've never tried that before, and all of a sudden your XT two that you've had for a year and a half or so can now do that by just downloading the firmware, you're like, I'm going to give that a try. That might open up a whole new world of photography to you. F log all of a sudden shooting that flat profile, maybe you didn't consider using your X-T2 for video, but now you've got F-Log, so you got more dynamic range and you can color grade it later. That's great, 120 frames per second. It's like, like they say, it's like downloading a new camera and it really is. So that's why I've talked about before about how long-term I see myself in Sony. I think I'm probably long-term gonna be in Fujifilm, but I'm gonna be, you know, obviously it's crop sensor. It's not, but I don't even think that really matters anymore.
1: No, if you spoke to Nicole, you know, and that's something we could talk about, maybe, and you know, having Nicole back on, I can tell you for a fact. Listen, if there's someone who should be, you know, who can prove that you can get amazing stuff with a crop sensor, it's her. I mean, the stuff she does, it does, it doesn't even cross her mind the whole sensor size wars nor the lenses. She has all the lenses she needs, and she's doing cool stuff. So, with that, Sharky, what do you think? I think it was a great episode, Brian. If we do say so ourselves, so.
0: And we do. And we do. It doesn't stop us. So why don't you tell people where they can find us, how they can hashtag so they can ask us a question, or just like, you know, wedding shooters out there, let us know, are you using Primes? Are you using Zooms? And do you have, okay, for just general photographers, do you have the 70 to 200 or do you have the 24 to 70 or both? We'd like to know. So go ahead and tell us how you can find us, how you can find you
1: specifically. Sure, sure. So first, if you do want to ask us any questions on Twitter, just use hashtag ask and NNPS for No Name Photoshop, And again, all of our show notes are available at nonamephotoshow.com, as well as every single episode of our series so far. And then we're at Noname Photo Show on all the socials. For me specifically, my website is matiash.com, M-A-T-I-A-S-H.com. And on the socials, I am at Brian Matiash, B-R-I-A-N-M-A-T-I-A-S-H. Sharky, what about you?
0: Well, when I'm not at the Grand Tetons, you can find me at the Petapixel Photography Podcast, petapixel.com slash podcast, or just type in P-E-T-A-P-I-X-E-L in your favorite podcatcher, perhaps what you're listening to this show in right now. I'm Lens Shark on all the socials that matter these days, probably Vero. I don't know. No one uses it, like I said, right? (laughs) Like That was so like April. Sadly. And, <laughs> sadly. Poor Vero. And so uh again, if you want to go ahead and communicate with us, you can find us there. You can find us on Facebook. We are everywhere. Brian, what do you say we clap it out? Let's do it. All right, here we go. One, two, we'll fix it in post. No, we won't. Love you, brother. I love you too. Bye.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the No Name Photoshop. Sharky and I would be thrilled if you would subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using and tell a friend. So how about we do this again in the next episode? Yeah, let's do that.